0: Hey, what's up? It's Jarrett. Producer Jordan texted me saying that my audio was trashed this week. My apologies. I have dozens of contractors working on my home studio, or I'm, I'm, I'm having a problem with my laptop. It's one or the other. Whatever it is, I'm really, really sorry about my audio not sounding up to par this past week and this week, but we're working on it. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, ladies and gentle them, beautiful people. I'm Jared Hill. Welcome to Fan Tide, the podcast for those complex and complicated com... What? Ladies and gentle them. I like that. That was I cute. Keep going. Ladies and gentle them. Last time I said that, you oh, didn't like it.
1: I didn't hear ladies. I thought you said ladies. I, whatever.
0: Uh, ladies the is good because
1: fuck them in anyway.
0: Oh, wow. That, that, that's me. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations. I am politics and pop culture journalist and writer Jared
1: Hill. And I am entertainment journalist, um, film critic... Uh, social curator and world changer Travel Anderson You forgot exhaust her the- <laughs> Coming up on the show Today we are going to talk About the shade Room with Michael Blackman of BuzzFeed Who just dropped this hot hot piece uh, On BuzzFeed Alright but first we're gonna have the Pass the popcorn segment Which is our opportunity to talk about some of the foolishness That y'all are speaking of In these internet streets And we want to talk about COVID weddings, okay? So in case you're not keeping up with the latest ROA, do people actually say ROA? No. For Real Housewives of Atlanta, R-H-O-A? I mean, no, they don't. Okay. So, real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> the latest uh, Housewives of Atlanta news, which is that Cynthia Bailey and Mike Hill, a.k.a. hashtag chill, have finally tied the knot. I've and
0: always they did hated so. that, that acronym, that that uh, portmanteau of a name or whatever it would C. be. Hill. I hate Chill as their their hybrid name. I hate it.
1: Well, it's too late. It has been uh, uh, memorialized in the history books of hashtags. (laughs) Um, And so they got married over the weekend in Ackworth, Georgia, which is outside of Atlanta, um, with 250 of their closest friends and family. They need their asses whooped. Um, People Magazine had the, the exclusive... And I want to go down... They had an exclusive interview before the wedding actually took place. So, I want to go down with, like, the particulars of what they went through, they say, to, like, make sure that everybody was safe. Again, this is before the event actually happened. So, they said that they hired a special team to deep clean the venue that they were using. They say that they instituted temperature checks... Mandatory temperature checks and hand-washing before entering the venue for everyone. And that they said, again, before the actual event, that masks and or shields were mandatory. However, when you look at a lot of the photos, when you look at a lot of the video footage that has surfaced on social media, in some shots, there are no masks visible
0: or present. I think there's one massive thing that is missing from this protocol— Uh There's no conversation about COVID testing. Like what? Well, I think, I think it's, so here's the thing. I
1: think it is assumed that the people who are coming to the wedding
0: in the middle of the pandemic have been tested I of their own volition. I would not assume that at all. I, I feel like that is really an overreaching. I feel like that is, that is a very generous assumption because like, if you're not testing people for COVID, like. T- checking temperatures doesn't mean anything, right? Like, yes. that that that's really, really difficult for me. I didn't know that part of the story. Um, and it, it frustrates me because I'm like, you guys had an event with 250 people. Now, I do want to acknowledge mm-hmm. that this was in Georgia where the rules are a lot more lax than they are, say, in New, right. New York or California, right? The Georgia governor and, and even Keith Ransbom has had a difficult time with trying to get, like, things to be a little bit more strict. But I'm I think this was completely stupid and I'm a fan of Cynthia and Mike but I think this was an awful awful idea. Well
1: I want to say that so Candy Burris who was one of the bridesmaids um, she uh, she did this little like video behind the scenes, getting ready video on um her YouTube page. Um, and she says that she was tested, and the rest of the bridal party was all they were like all tested together. Um, I'm I, completely unmoved by that. I assume. Well, I'm, I'm saying that I assume that they that everyone else was tested, but I wanted to bring this up as a conversation point. But, getting but, married before you do that.
0: Before you do that. the reason I think assuming that is is an overreach is because they gave that whole protocol of all the things that they did and they did not say that they were COVID testing people so that's what makes me concerned
1: well because I also wonder well this is why I want to bring this up because you know maybe they didn't want to incur the cost of 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 COVID testing everyone so they didn't bring it up as, a, as something that they were doing because everyone else was getting their own test. Um, but we're in this moment where Jared is rolling his eyes at me, everywhere. I just,
0: I'm not having it. Like, I was just talking, I, I just did an interview with Justin Simeon um, for his show called um, uh, don't at me And we were talking about Having to film The new season of Dear White People They just went back to To mm-hmm. set And that episode Will be out in, in I think another week or two And I'll make sure To let you guys know about it But like He was saying like I, That everyone has to get tested All the time I have a friend that's Shooting a show in Vancouver They have to get tested All the time And I was well, saying those it, must are... have, it must have cost A lot of money To add those protocols and he was like It added a ton of money For us to have to To do all that And so like I think that Cynthia And Mike Like mind you it's expensive right and I get that but like yeah if you want to have 250 people you need to be getting people tested and I just think that was really irresponsible but go ahead
1: well I wanted to bring it up because Cynthia and Mike are a very rich example of folks who are getting married during the pandemic a few weeks ago I told y'all that I attended a wedding Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn um, and I have uh, Bianca Carter. Hey, Ms. Carter. That's her <laughs> married name. Um, who sent in a little bit of audio about their wedding. So take a listen.
2: My husband, Barry, had proposed to me last November on my birthday. And we had picked September 6th for what was originally supposed to be a Miami wedding on a Carnival cruise ship. By the time we got to May of 2020, it was clear that both Miami and cruising was absolutely a no-go. So we decided to keep our original wedding date and do things near our home in Brooklyn, since things locally were gradually improving. We had been together for over five years already and felt strongly that COVID-19 wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. We had got some pushback for not choosing to postpone for sure, but we're so glad that we decided to press forward. As far as precautions, we definitely had a safety first mindset. First, all wedding activities happened outdoors. We booked the Aquaba Mansion, which is a gorgeous black owned bed and breakfast in Brooklyn and made sure that we were the only ones on the ground the entire weekend leading up to the wedding. Only 20 guests attended, and all guests and vendors, including catering, photography, wedding planner, everybody, agreed to get tested for COVID in the 10 days prior to. Luckily, in New York, there is COVID testing available literally everywhere. We gave everyone masks and hand sanitizers as wedding favors and pens so that nobody had to share them when signing our guest cards, which of course we used in lieu of an actual guest book. We asked everyone to wear a mask when they were not eating or drinking, and we made sure that everyone's meals were individually wrapped before service. There were no past hors d'oeuvres or buffets. All the tables were more than six feet from each other, and I had prepared a seating chart so that had folks together that would only be comfortable sitting with each other. We did not have a formal dance floor because we didn't want anyone to feel compelled to be in close proximity with each other, but we definitely had a few dance breaks throughout the reception. All in all, I'm proud to be able to say that everyone had a good time and no one got sick.
0: She's. I love that she ended it with, and it was not a super spreader event, motherfuckers.
1: <laughs> I just, and I think, I do think that, you know, I I find it difficult to sit here and be like, oh, I would not get married in a pandemic if, like, I had already scheduled and set myself up to get married. But, like, I do think that we're dealing with two different situations, two different scales of situations, right, with the Mike and Cynthia situation, with theoretically, you know, a lot more um, well-off people, right, who can get these tests that are theoretically, you know, that you can get your results right in 24 hours and stuff like that, which I hope that they did we will find out in a week or so if somebody is sick I'm sure um, And but then on, on the side with Bianca and her wedding you know like I said it, it was very intimate there were a handful of people well two handfuls or four handfuls of people um, including all of the vendors um, and we did you know I, I will say there was after I got a, a few drinks in me my oh, mask uh-oh. was no longer on Oh, but I, you know, made the, we all came to the event in good faith, having expressed that we got tested and that we got negative results and stuff like that. And so I felt comfortable to do. And, you know, like she said, ain't nobody got nothing after the fact. Um, and so well, I just thought I, it was interesting to, to bring
0: up the both both situations. No, I think it's, I think it's a, a really interesting thing because Bianca, it sounds like, was still on some bullshit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm <just> kidding. <laughs> Um, No, I think Bianca, it sounds like, really went out of her way. They went out of their way to make sure that all of their guests were going to be as safe as they could possibly be, right? You know, I'm always talking about the calculated risk. Like, sweetie, going to the grocery store is a calculated risk, right? So, like, I appreciate that. And I I also recognize, like, there are some people who had their wedding scheduled already. Um, And then I think about, like... Some people didn't want to cancel and had to improvise, right? And -hmm. some people didn't want to cancel and are trying to go through with their massive plans – and I, I think with the massive plans, folks, it's like, it's just irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And like, no, I'm probably not going to come to your 250-person wedding. And you can have a problem with that or not. But, like, I just think it's really, really irresponsible. I thought uh, Elaine Welteroth's wedding out in the in the middle of the street, I believe, in Harlem. It was a beautiful thing. Like, I love that everyone was pretty socially distanced. I, know I there think were people, it was Brooklyn. I think, I, okay, it might have been in Brooklyn. I know it was in New York. But, like, there are people who had challenges with that, right? Who felt like... Mm, they didn't do that the way that they should have. But I think that for folks that want to have an event, like, honey, if they could cancel South by Southwest and, you know, the NBA season, you might have to cancel your wedding if you want to do a big event. So um, well, shout I out to wonder- because it sounds like they did that right.
1: I wonder, last thing I'll say is... Well, first of all, they didn't cancel the NBA season. They just built a
0: bubble. No, um, they shut down things in, in March, is what I'm talking about, last year, at the beginning of the year.
1: Well, they postponed it, but they they have a... a, a, a they had a little bubble situation, everybody was sure, anyway. yeah. But I do think that... I mean, I think we will find out maybe in the coming days, in coming weeks, hopefully, about like the extent to what those protocols look like. Um, um, but, you know... Shout out to Bianca. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to delve into the shade room.
0: Ooh. Video games. Video games.
2: Video games. You like them?
3: Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. In that case, you should check out Triple Click. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a
2: podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week.
0: Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political,
2: pop culture, black queer, feminism, race, sexuality, news. You're going to learn your history, their self empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend.
0: Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The
2: listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens
0: people will get the perspective
3: of marginalized communities i
2: feel heard i feel seen like you said you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started join
3: us every friday on max fun or wherever you get
2: your podcast minority Minority corner Corner. because together together, we're we're the the majority. majority
3: Welcome
1: back, beautiful people. This week we're talking through the many feelings folks have about the Shade Room, the insanely popular Instagram-based gossip platform that even Barack Obama knows about. Okay, since its 2014 founding, the site has amassed over 21 million followers and counting and has become the go-to stop for all your black celebrity news. From the latest of what's happening with Cardi and that man she divorcing to the latest Fashion Nova trends. It's known as is the TMZ. I think Cardi and Offset are back together. I mean, that's what it appears. Um, <laughs> um, it is known as the TMZ of Instagram. But with the platform trafficking in particularly anti-LGBTQ sentiment and highlighting a lot of the fights and battles and bickering amongst what I call new money blacks, a lot more folks have been asking the question, is the shade room too toxic to function. That's the headline of Michael Blackman's latest BuzzFeed feature, and he joins us to break it all down. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to have you here. Thank you for being a part Thank of you. this conversation.
1: So we kind of want to start. So I know you, in your piece, you mentioned that like you initially conducted your interview with Angelica, who's the founder of The Shade Room, um, back in March before corona happened um Correct. and then ironically a couple weeks ago um the nod which is a show on quibi for those who don't know they did a feature interrogating the shade room as well and whether or not it's good for the black so there seems to be like a moment in which we're having this shade room conversation i want to start by asking you what kind of piqued your interest to take a deeper look at the platform
3: well for me personally i i just I have such a love for pop culture and I am always looking at, especially just being a culture writer, I'm always looking at what things are trending. What's the latest things people are talking about and just like, how can I, um, what's the story? How can I advance this in some way? And with the shade room in particular, I am someone who consumes pop culture so much, but Mm -hmm. it's also with this specific site, it just felt like they were sort of playing this game where, They're delivering the news, but then also, I don't know, just like almost like shaping the way in which people should they want people to respond to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I guess it was just born from that. Like, I just was like, well, maybe I should just interview Angelica (laughs) and then see where it goes from there.
0: You know, when you say that they are shaping the way that they want people to respond to it, go in a little bit more on what
3: you mean by that what I mean by that as far as like how they will shape the conversation is like I would see certain captions and then like with me being an LGBT person I do identify as gay mm-hmm. um there are things that I think that I am a bit more uh sensitive to um mm-hmm. so it's like if I see a caption of uh EJ Johnson and someone is like saying like thoughts on this roommates so and this is just me giving you an example. I, I, I'm just making up an example, but it's yeah, like, sure. roommates, what are your thoughts on EJ blah, 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 blah the latest thing that he, they are wearing? And then, like, if you include, like, the eyes emoji, to me, that just seems like you're trying to rile people up in some way, you know? Um, and maybe it doesn't have to be, um, maybe that's not, like, this inherently negative thing, but it de- definitely feels like, it's just, like, knowing the way that that audience is, like, you just know it's not going to be a good thing for queer people. And so, like... Mm-hmm. I just wanted to pull back the veil and just like see, like, hey, is this like what y'all are doing? And if so, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so one of the things that we like to do when we're starting off a conversation here is to kind of address our relationship to said thing. So uh Travel, I'll let you go first. Mm-hmm. What has been your relationship really when we look at The Shade Room, but also just kind of like the Black celebrity blog space. Like, what has been your relationship with with those, that kind of media?
1: Um, I mean, I feel like they're... I've never been someone who followed The Shade Room, like, at all, but I feel like The Shade Room has, like, quickly become that, like, go-to entity for a lot of folks on social media um, to get, you know, their updates on, you know, what the Nicknogs are doing, you know? Um, the
0: Nick <laughs> done.
1: Um, and 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 I think particularly <laughs> for me, I find that a lot of the shade room content is very much like the. You all right, Jared? <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, you said nicknames to me in conversation, but you've not said it on the show, and it just took me out right now. I wasn't ready for that. Well, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: I feel like a lot of the the content, the stuff that they're covering, it's like that love and hip hop type uh, celebrity, right? And mm-hmm. like, I'm not interested in those folks, right? Um, and not that much, at least. Like, I don't I don't know their names. I don't know why they're relevant. You know, those types of things. And then all the other things that they do news-related, right? It's very aggregatory, right? And so, like, I can just go to CNN or New York Times to get that, right? Um, I will say that I think, like outside of the Shade Room specifically. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a Love B. Scott type girl, you know. Shout out Ooh. shout out to um, um, Boss Up in their headlines, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I have to, like, you know... I'm I'm a news girl so like if I if I want real tea, like real tea that you can that's verified, that's fact checked, that you know we reached out for comment to the team, you know, sure. that I'm going to go to an uh, a different type of
0: publication. What about for you, Jared? Um well, I, I would say I, I don't want to Completely shit all over Michael for loving the shade room in the way that you just did because <laughs> Michael he just said you were trash. That's what that's I heard him say. That's not what I said. That's what that's what I heard him say. <laughs> I'm just I'm just no. Um, so the shade room I followed the shade room for a long time and I will often see them like pop up in my feed. But I don't see them. I, I, I attribute a lot of things to algorithms and the ways that like I don't know how shit ends up in my feed anymore. Um, Side note, watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. It's a really great, it gives really great insight into how those algorithms work. But like, I've always seen The Shade Room show up like when people are resharing things and I've always been fascinated by the way that they put together stories, right? It's like screenshot, screenshot, watermark, headline and it's like, it's a post, right? But then it's it's grown so much. Like, and Michael, you can even speak to this as you did in your piece that like, when you interviewed them in march they had i think you said 17 million followers and Mm -hmm. now here we are in october they have 22 or 21 uh, million followers so it's something that i'm always like aware of and like we'll dip into on occasion but like i don't see it quite as frequently so michael what about you
3: i just wanted to add that i (laughs) i'm not saying i'm like the hugest fan of this shade room oh no no you're a fan now (laughs) you love it (laughs) just as someone who consumes (laughs) pop culture i have just noticed that that is like an area in which a faction of people Mm -hmm. get information from and like i see a whole conversation around it especially with because i feel like we're always on twitter all the time Mm -hmm. and especially just like being media people and you see people who are just like the shade room is so toxic blah 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 and it's just like there's nothing beyond that and so with me i'm just like okay well i have this this privilege of being, like, someone who works at, like, a media organization and and I can, like, advance the story by, like, asking a -hmm. person about um, why they are essentially um, running their platform the way that they are. Um, But I would agree with Travel in terms of, like, I don't know half of the love and hip hop people. You know what I mean? I don't even watch love and hip hop. Like the last time I watched love and hip hop, it was like with Mimi and Stevie and uh, Jocelyn. Oh. And oh, like yes. that was even a I long time that. ago. Yes. You know? let's so see,
0: I'm, and I'm the trash bitch that's only really watched like one season of Hollywood. And then like a little bit of here and there of Atlanta. So I couldn't even tell you.
3: <laughs> just to add to that. I think also my interest came just because like for the longest time I had wanted to do like a story on just like the older black blog blogosphere mm-hmm. and the shade room has sort of entered this space where they were, are like the creme de la creme the premier sort of black blog um because we don't have concrete loop anymore we don't have nicole mm-hmm. bitchy and it's like love B. scott is like a um a leftover from like that time um but it's still like you know what i mean it's like the shade room is like they are the newsmakers essentially right.
1: Yeah, and and right they've become that go-to black outlet right I'm, I mean I'm using outlet in quotation marks for the people that can't see me um but like you 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 have like uh presidential candidates right going to and talking to the shade room you have you know all, all everyone stops at the shade room in the same ways that like maybe back in the day they would make sure they stopped at essence or ebony or jet right now right. they're stopping at at the shade room and not really right stopping at or giving exclusives to even love B Scott or you know the other uh, bo- the bosses
0: of the world and stuff like well, that so that's an important point um and our in our conversation about like putting the show together we were trying to figure out like what the distinction is about the Shade Room as opposed to a B. Scott or Bossup or TMZ or, you know, many of the others that are blogs and then specifically with black blogs, obviously TMZ is not one of those, but it seemed like, and, and Michael, I would love your perspective on this. It seemed like what was really unique about the Shade Room was the comment section and the way that the comment section is really its own culture within, you know, this like subculture of, of, of discussion. Would you say that was accurate?
3: So I think that one of the unique things about The Shade Room is just like the immediacy of it. So it's just like you can have someone like Obama come on and immediately you have people who are so engaged. And I just think that, um, I mean, just calling the people, calling the commenters roommates, like you're already, you're calling yourself The Shade Room, bringing Mm -hmm. people into this uh, brand, you're calling them roommates. It's just like there's a certain specific identity where they feel like a part of this, you know, it's like a... um, in a way, it's almost like I don't want to sound cheesy and say like the commenters are like family, but it's like they're creating like this sort of familiar yeah. type of space. That's what at least. And I mean, that's the way that Angie described it to me. Like she's just like you come into this place and it's just like this is what your auntie would say. This is what your mama would say. It's a specific sort of black experience, though. Right. You know um, that I I couldn't see like a white blog doing this the exact same way as the shade room is able to do it. Right,
1: and I think you know if we think back to the 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 time period right before the Shade Room, you know, was founded and started, like that blog area arena rather was like your your what's that white man's name Perez, Perez Hilton. Hilton's. And you're yes. uh, delisted, you know, <laughs> Michael all, all K. Particular... Delisted, yes, all just of that. Der- um, and it's like I do think <laughs> you're. I think there's something there to what you said, Michael, about there being a unique kind of community familial type of vibe that, like, we see, right, not even, like, on Instagram in in terms of the shade room, but also just in terms of, like, this idea of, like, Black Twitter, right? This idea of the ways in which Black people are using these social platforms um, and transforming them in a variety of ways. And I do want to say, you know, shout out to um, Angelica being a black woman, founding, you know, a, a platform, an outlet that has amassed the attention that it has. You know, I want to give her her kudos, you know, and her flowers. But at the same time, to something you said, Michael, uh, in the piece, she talks about it as if, you know, it's a family. And she uses that as a You know, reason or a justification for a bit
0: of a buffer, even
1: even a buffer for some of the like anti queer, anti trans things that like pop up on the platform. And I I wanted to ask you, when you heard that, did it did it seem convincing to you? Like. Because in your piece, you kind of, you know, toe that line of whether, you know, that idea of family, that idea of this is just how people communicate in the Black community, um, as if if it may not be, you know, a solid justification for the platform.
3: That's a really great question. Um, I will say when I spoke with Angie, I definitely felt like the answer was sincere. And... Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that she's someone who's trying to make the lives of queer people harder. I think this is like one of those things where I think people just simply don't understand why people take issue with um, oh. the way in which they are presenting queer people sometimes. Like they almost don't see it mm-hmm. because, like, she gave, I didn't include this in the piece, but she was just like, this could, um, like, if you were to post a queer person and in the shade room, some commenters sort of go in and attack them, that's the same thing that could happen on their page or individual page, which is also true. Mm-hmm. I think that my issue with the shade room is just like the way in which they amplify certain messages yeah. as if all he- conversation is healthy conversation. And if I would have gotten a follow-up interview, I that would have been something I would have loved to have uh, clarified. But I think that once we started moving in a direction where I think that they sort of picked up on the fact that this was not going to be like a fluff piece, Mm -hmm. it became a bit harder to get um, access, which is unfortunate.
0: One of the things that I've been kind of going back and forth with is, number one, is it the Shade Room's fault that that their audience responds to these stories in the ways that they do, right? And like, essentially, no, right? I think this is really the challenge with anything that is user-generated content or social media. Like, you can't control what people are going to say. But is it their responsibility to moderate that kind of commentary? I think that is a different part of the conversation.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I do think that they could be better because some of the stuff is just, like, outright harmful. And I think that the thing that comes to mind immediately is just, like, everything that happened with Zaya Wade. Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like that's something that really should not have ever happened. Like, because it's like, Boozy's comments were not, they weren't, enlightening in any way this was like someone who was literally panicking about the way that somebody else is parenting their child in the healthiest way possible mm-hmm. which is like so i think that that's even more beautiful to see that you have this black man and this black woman uh dwayne Wade, gabrielle union like supporting their child who is trans especially like when you consider there's so much violence against like black trans people mm-hmm. you know like
2: mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. you have someone who
3: gets up here and there's like First of all, misgendering him. Then also, you think about the things that Busey has done with his child, and it's just like this doesn't make sense. I, I think all of this is saying, like, I do, I do think that they could be a bit more hands on when it comes to moderation, because it just feels like there's, it just, it just seems like there's no one really going through the comments as best they could.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting because uh, she kind of, you know. Uh, laid the responsibility of like the restrictions that she sees in terms of their ability to moderate to the fact that, right, they post 40 to 70 times a day and to the, what she said was like the, the kind of technology capabilities and restrictions that like the platform itself has. But one of the things that I've been thinking about when we decided to do this after reading your piece was that like there are other black brands that like will get into the comment section and like stop people from being homophobic or transphobic and like i think about strong black lead um you right. know netflix's little thingy where like most recently um they did a video with that included us, uh, so- saucy saucy santana whatever that child saucy name santana. is yeah i put the l and luscious L. l- <laughs> yes they included they did a video with that child in it and for the for the listeners who don't know saucy is like an effeminate gay i think man um person at least um they have nails they have a beard wear makeup etc and s- people were in the comment section you know saying all of the foolish stuff and strong black lead is in the comment section telling people that like that type of behavior, that type of perspective, like you can have it, but like take it to somebody else's page type of thing. And I wonder what the shade room could look like if they were also in the comment section moderating and like actually being part of the conversation as opposed to like, you know, setting the fire and then running away. Right. Which is how I feel Uh, about
3: it. That's, I I feel similarly because I think to an extent it just feels like I'm not saying all the time they do this with queer people, but there's a good amount of times that I've gone onto the site and it just feels like they are mocking queer people without outright just saying like, hey, look at how silly this person looks. That's what mm-hmm. the vibe that I'm getting from it. One of the interesting parts of the conversation to me has been that there will be people jumping in uh,
0: to kind of like defend, you know, the folks that are being disparaged. And when we see that happening at other places, it does kind of make me ask the question of like, you could make the choice to do that, right? And like, I one of the things I always remember from uh, from college in communications class was they said like, whether or not you are intending to communicate something, you're always communicating a message, and that has stuck with me because I think about you guys make a conscious choice that you don't go in and say like, don't do this or we don't support this kind of language, which to me communicates a message that you're okay mm-hmm. with it.
3: Right. Exactly. And I think to add to, um, I guess, like, what what we've been talking about very generally is, like, I don't want to take um, what Angie wants the shade room to be away from her, because I think that you can have a place where it's, like, fun and messy, but it doesn't also have to be harmful. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main thing that I want to get across. Yeah.
1: And Absolutely. I think to, to that point, right, there is also a... Uh, uh, there's a good point that you make in the piece about how she feels as if some of these critiques that we have toward the Shade Room and toward her as the the founder aren't similarly levied against TMZ and Harvey over there, right? And I think sh- she's not wrong, right? She's not. I-, I don't see oh. the same type of conversation about TMZ um, as much, right, as I see it about uh, the Shade Room. But I also... Think about back to her point about the shade room being like, you know, that family cookout or that family gathering. And and it's like, I, I want to hold my family
0: accountable, which is why I'm talking about the shade room. Go ahead, Jared. Do we, I, I generally don't know the answer to this question, but I, I know that we've had plenty of conversations around here about representation and like because there is so little representation, whenever we do see something with ourselves in it, we want it to represent mm-hmm. us. Do we feel like, this critique of The Shade Room is about there being a lack of, of of representation in, like, Black black media news. That's not exactly what it would be called, I guess, but, like, reporting on Black content. Is that, is, is that why we maybe specifically respond to The Shade Room in the way that we do when TMZ may not get that kind of response? Mm.
3: I guess it's, like, I just can't think of, like, the closest competitor to the shade room in the same way. Like, of course we have gossip, of, course we have mm-hmm. like baller alert and things like that, but there's nobody else in the same space size. that is like, that I can think of that's like amplifying, um, people on the same level. Of course mm-hmm. there's like a strong black lead. There's like, I don't, I don't believe strong black lead to correct me if wrong, room ha- has like 20 million followers. Right. Um, so I think it's just like, there's nothing else to compare it to right now. And mm. I think, and I also think that like, just in general, we, um, I should probably not say we, but I think that sometimes we just have a hard time with criticism of just, like, Black people and, like, like mm-hmm. black, um, black art and things like that in general. Because I'm thinking about something I wrote earlier in the year where I, like, was feeling very passionate about Tyler Perry's A Fall From Grace. And there were so many people who were upset with me for <laughs> even, like, critiquing the movie. And they were just like... Just justifying by, like, he's a Black man, he's a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe he wasn't a billionaire mm-hmm. at that point, but, like, he's self-made, essentially, and I should just, like, cut him some slack. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, like, a similar thing that's happening with this. Even though, like, I, people are so much harder on Black women than they are on Black men, so it's, like, it's it's weird. That part. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that is a conversation that we've had here about like Tyler Perry specifically, but also like black media when we're looking at, you know, whether it's a documentary or a film or a TV show or whatever it is, like, because there are so few things, if we don't see ourselves, if we don't feel like it's our experience or it's reflective of what we know to be blackness or what our our you know our our lived experience would be then it it feels like it may not be authentic or it's worthy of critique in a way that like white people don't have to do that right like white people see themselves as crackheads as ceos (laughs) as doctors lawyers as you know the garbage man as you know a widow as every kind of thing and like we are only seeing a handful of different depictions of what it means to be black in this country
3: one of the things though and it may be unfair in, in a way to say like oh, we should hold the shade room to like a higher standard. But like, maybe we should, because I'm like, I think about this story I saw earlier where literally somebody uh, allegedly, I should say, on the set of Claws called Angelica Ross, he, and it's like, mm-hmm. if we have people who are, yeah. or platforms that are essentially allowing this to happen, it's like, you could be doing something to to turn, the, turn this course, like to right. go in a p- more positive direction. Um, that's, I, I think that's just like what I would say. <laughs>
0: so we are three black queer journalists um that are millennial and there's this interesting conversation that we've had i knew you were going to do that bitch don't (laughs) have me reach through the screen because i swear (laughs) for god i swear for god um but i (laughs) do we think the shade room is journalism because like ultimately what they're doing is taking content taking stories taking you know whatever it is and you're writing it up in one way or another and then distributing it to the masses, and it, you know, it's being consumed. And like, that is easily the definition of media, but I don't know if it's the definition of journalism. And I mean, we even have those conversations with other Black blogs and sites, right, that will take all, the, all of the content from another platform and just put it onto their website. Michael, what is your perspective on whether or not The Shade Room is journalism? <laughs> I. You it's are like, putting oh, me on toe, the spot. Um, I'll go well, first. I, I I'll say, go first. I,
3: okay, if okay. you <laughs> want, Michael.
0: And it's, I. Will, it's a scary I, thing to answer because you don't want to shame people because we know these people, right? Yeah. Like, so I'll
3: say what what Angie told me is that she does consider the moderators to be in a way to be journalists. Um, me personally, I I don't necessarily see it that way because like you're not writing original content the majority of the time. Like I to go back to what Travel said earlier, like you're mostly aggregating, but then I think of other sites like, I don't know, Teen Vogue, even where I work, like Buzzfeed is just like, I was on teams before, before I was like doing reporting and stuff like that, where I did like aggregate, but did that like make me less of a journalist? Because like I was part of the day, like aggregating certain things. And then like later in the day, I'm like, I can work on like my own original stuff. It's like it's a hard thing to um to say definitively, at least for me. Mm. Yeah. Well Trivett. I
1: would say I think that
3: they What were... was that
1: laugh? <laughs> I wanna know what the laugh was first.
0: <laughs> what was the laugh?
1: Because I feel like the 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 concept of journalist is something that we often gift to so many different types of people who do some sort of media making um, Mm. when there are other words that more accurately fit what they do, right? So I think we're all communications professionals. We are all (laughs) communications professionals, okay? Okay. We're all media professionals. Okay. And then you have, it's <laughs> okay. the same conversation in, 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 uh, around, you know, folks who, um, you know, who host, you know, certain things, um, or who make content on YouTube, or who, you know, the citizen journalists on Twitter, right? Like, there's all of these different types of things. I think when I look at the Shade Room, their moderators. It, you're not, more often than not, they're not repackaging anything, Right. So much of it is literally a repost with the TSR, the the shade room, you know, uh, watermark on it. Right. It's a it's a screenshot of a CNN tweet with the shade room logo on top of it. And then you come up with a couple words, you know, for a caption. And so I think that's what makes me say it's not. Journalism proper, I think it is media making. I think it is content creation, which are good skills to have if you want to be a journalist or a reporter. But it is not; it does not inherently make you a
3: a, a journalist. To me, okay. I know earlier you said that you, you know, I you like lovey Scott, but I feel like they do something similar. Would you consider them to be journalists? Hell no. Not?
1: hell no and and no shade i i I love and respect b scott as well as denver but no they ain't journalists either right Right. and and a lot of it is just like you know they're they're bloggers we can give them the blogger title
3: yeah i'm down with that yeah i mean i i I would agree with you because i think that i guess there should be like a specificity with these sorts these sorts of things and like Like you said, there are so many words. (laughs) We can call them like something specific that categorizes like what they actually do. Yeah, and before you jump in, Jared,
1: I just want to say that I and I want to be clear that like I don't, I don't I don't want it to come off as if I'm talking down to you know black bloggers and the black sphere because I'm not, um, and I also don't think that you have to work for a legacy publication or one of the bigger publications to be a journalist. But I do think at the core of journalism is original reporting. It is sourcing. It is attribution. It is you know all of the things that sometimes sites like the shade room do not do for, because and it's because they don't have to
0: usually do, do not do they that they usually do not do no i i would really affirm what you were saying i think that um the part that i think that is missing for me to for it to equate to journalism is like that there is like a, a high ethical standard of like what you're reporting on and yes. what you're not and how your your how you're Um, packaging that information and even in in situations where a site will like aggregate information from another um, outlet you know seemingly the content that they are copying and pasting has been you know ethically sourced from USA Today Mm -hmm. or you know People or you know the New York Times or wherever so I mean it's I, I feel like it's a real gray area we've had this conversation within the National Association of Black Journalists here in LA and and there's a lot of opinions about what this content is uh, and what we do with it and where we place it. Because I think that one of the major problems that we have uh, in, in 2020 and, and have for years is that people just trust information mm-hmm. because they see it online, right? Not necessarily where it comes from, not necessarily like who who's writing it or how that information was gathered, but just I saw it on Line, so I figured that it's, that it's real or it's true. And I, and I take it and run with it. So um, Michael Blackman, tell people where they can find out more about you and the work that you do every day.
3: You can find me at BuzzFeed.com slash Michael Blackman. <laughs> you could also find me on Twitter at my last name, which is yes. at Blackman, which is B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N. And my Instagram is private because I'm like, I got to have something for myself. I know that's right. <laughs> I heard
0: that. Uh, Michael Blackman, we appreciate you being here. Um, before we before we go to break, we want to know what you all think about this like this conversation around the shade room. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fanti Podcast. That's F-A-N-T-I-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Fanti Podcast is one word. We'll take a quick break. We're coming right back. Fantai is supported this week in part by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people with all kinds of new skills that you can explore, deepening your existing passions and getting lost in creativity. The one of the classes that I'm getting ready to take is called Mastering Illustration. I took like, four or five years of electives that were various different art things throughout high school and college. Mm. And so I'm really excited to kind of like jump back into drawing and like, I've been coloring a lot lately, just trying to like decompress. So being able to kind of sharpen those skills would be really, really great. I've been looking at the
1: Filmmaking from Home class that's taught by Penny Lane Um, I've been really interested in this moment of like you know trying to find what kind of family videos exist and seeing what type of things I can do with Tim Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think I'm gonna check out that class in particular now for you all there listening to us members of Skillshare get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes with hands-on projects and feedback from a community of millions of folks. It's incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops that you probably can't go to right now anyway because you should be at your house because we're still in a pandemic. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month, and if you're interested, you can explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash FantiPod, and the first 1,000 people to use our Link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium membership. That's free access to thousands of classes for a limited time for the first one thousand people to sign up at skillsharecom FantiPod
0: So, do you have a lot on your mind? In times of stress or anxiety, it can be hard to remember to take time Mm-mm. to focus on yourself. But your joy and your why are you doing this to the people? So important. Especially right now. Put your well-being first with Dipsy. <laughs> I just love being able to turn on sexy voice. It's fine. Is that
1: sexy to you? Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and wellness sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories is that your are really- sexy voice? No, it is not. Ask my man. Okay. The <laughs> stories are relatable and immersive and the wellness sessions can also help you unlock new confidence or heighten intimacy with your partner. They add new stories every week and they've got everything for, you know, he and yes, he, they she do. and she, they and they, otherwise Honey, and otherwise. he and she
0: and he? you too. how that you feel it. They've got options, okay? Listen, <laughs> so for our listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Fanti. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash Fanti. Again, that's D-I-P-S-E-A com slash Fanti.
1: All right, beautiful people, welcome back. We are going to get into our listener feedback section, the opportunity for you all to tell us how much you hate us or love us or want more and all of those other things. Um... First up, we got a quote "dogs breakfast" size of an email um, from Isabel W. I, I think it's a Canadian thing. I'm assuming um, a dog's because okay. because Isabel is a Black Canadian um, and her family uh, immigrated to Canada from Central Africa when they were a toddler, um, and so they're responding in part. They had a lot. They had a lot to say. Uh, so we're going
0: to chop your email down a little bit, Isabel. So uh, wait, maybe but- dog's breakfast means that it's a lot, right? That it's long? Is that not what I said to you? I don't know what that mean. I'm looking it up while you read.
1: Go ahead on. Jesus, have mercy. Um, so Isabel says, as far as code switching, let's just say people don't guess I'm black over the phone. I once had an interviewee who was eventually hired say she assumed I was a nice white lady when we spoke. It's my default setting, but I'm also a sponge. If I hear an accent... For a while, I start to mimic it, and I'm a good mimic. So when I started listening to media made by black Americans, I started to mimic their speech. But it felt very much like learning a new language to me. Ironically, I've used it around white people as a way of conveying I'm not one of them. Maybe because Mm. I could probably win the RespectAbility Olympics without trying, even though I don't subscribe to the politics. I thought it was interesting that she, you know, code switches as a means of, like building separation or like warning white folks that okay I'm not one of your little Jack and Jill friends I mean she
0: said don't get it twisted, <laughs> right? Like, um, just FYI, uh, a dog's bec- breakfast, according to Merriam-Webster, is a confused mess or mixture. Oh. Urban Dictionary says uh, it's a vivid figure of speech, meaning something so fouled up as to be utterly useless. <laughs> it goes on with a longer <laughs> thing. So oh, okay. that's hilarious. I've well, never heard that before, so thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Isabel. Um, and then we have a second email here from Benny, um, whose who's headline for the email caught my attention. Code switching in a mixed family. Um, Benny says, I recently listened to your episode about code switching and it really hit home for me as someone who grew up in a mixed race household. For context, I have a black father and a white mother. And since I was old enough to realize, oh, my parents and their families talk different, I've been having to navigate not only code switching around friends and colleagues, but around family as well. Today, I like to think I've got a weird Franken accent that isn't a standard American accent, but isn't full on AA ve either which is strange because I low-key remember my dad trying to encourage me to talk more black in subtle ways I think code switching can be very confusing for mixed children especially mixed black children because if not properly explained to them it puts them in a position where neither voice sounds like their quote-unquote real voice to them to this day I still feel just as fake talking quote-unquote white to my suburban white Jewish family on my mom's side as I do talking quote-unquote black to my my inner-city black family on my dad's side.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. I I figured we would get some interesting feedback on this question of, of the different ways that people code switch, um, and we got a a lot of really interesting emails about the ways that people find them themselves speaking in one way in one place and in another and another place. So um, very interesting. Uh, and I. Th- I Benny. just add that I think, you know,
1: you you mentioned in the episode that like you you wonder and you assume that like white men probably have their own type of code yeah. switching. So I just for the first time ever on this podcast and the last time, I just wanted to shout out all the white men who emailed us <laughs> about
0: how they did, yeah how they so how
1: they code switch. Which which I did, I will admit and say I found interesting of you know the ways that people code switch among, you know, among their kind of work communities but also like church versus home
0: you know different types of friends etc sure sure um okay well i think it is time for us to get into our dishonorable mentions these are the stories or people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or their stupid um i have three you have two this week right yes okay so i'll go first then Um, I want to give an honorable mention to a new podcast from NPR called Louder Than a Riot. It is a podcast that is making a very interesting link that I never... Uh, even considered before a link between hip hop music and mass incarceration and showing that there is actually a thread between the two of them Mm. um it is a new show that just premiered this past week and i love it now that you are wrapping up this episode you can type it in and look it up Uh, it's called louder than a riot it is a really really interesting show um that make some connections that I wouldn't have thought a second time about, or wouldn't have even thought to question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hosted by Sidney Matten and Rodney Carmichael. It's from NPR. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So go check it out. Louder Than a Riot.
1: Gotcha. Love that. Um, I want to give an honorable mention to um, Megan Thee Stallion, who has a poignant op-ed in the New York Times and accompanying video about... Mm protecting Black women and why the statement protect Black women shouldn't be controversial. Um, We've spoken on the show already before about, you know, her being shot by Tory Lanez and his trash assness um, as a result. Um, And the the op-ed is, it's really... It's really good, um, and you know, I feel like we sometimes don't expect these types of things from our our rap artists, um, and people keep forgetting that like Megan The Stallion is is still in school, right? As her career, or at least she was still in school as her mm. career, um, you know, started
0: popping off.
1: So I just wanted to young, yeah. give some attention to that.
0: Okay, um, my second dishonorable mention then. Um... I want to give a dishonorable mention to the Trump administration and the Supreme Court. Um, You guys have heard me here talking for a couple of weeks now about the census being extended. The Trump administration has been fighting that in the courts, trying to get it shut down earlier, saying that there's no possible way that they could count all the data by the end of the year. But that has a a major impact on Black, brown, and poor communities that are being undercounted. Um, so the the census has now seemingly is going to be shut down sooner than October 31st, like we have been saying. So, you know, if you haven't got your information in yet, I would I would encourage you to try and do it quickly because I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be going because they have gotten that through the Supreme Court.
1: Make sure you vote to vote early, Ooh, baby. And
0: vote right.
1: OK, not I right. I want
0: to say. I always want to say early and often, but I'm like, no, that's fraud. Just do it once. Just just do
1: it once. Not early and often. And I want to be clear. When I said right, I didn't mean conservative. I meant correct.
0: Okay. He said, I want to be clear that I said vote left and blue. (laughs) Don't get me caught up. And
1: once. My last honorable mention, I just wanted to give a shout out to um, Monica Roberts. For those of you who don't know, Monica Roberts was a legendary trans journalist, icon in the community, activist, advocate, all of those things. Houston based. She died uh, last week. Um, and you know we're still getting details on like the circumstances around her death um, but she ran the, the legendary blog called Trans Griot, um, which became, you know, for a lot of people in the community, I think, one of the first places that we could see um, a chronicling of the Black trans experience. And Monica, in particular, um, was, was uh, iconic for um, accurately representing and documenting the deaths of Black trans women, in particular, um, prior to the mainstream media actually. You know, accurately um, keeping record of these folks um, and not dead naming these folks, and so the the kind of ways in which we talk about the ways in which trans people should be um, reported on in journalism started uh, a lot of it um, in terms of example um, on TransGrio with Monica's blog. And so I just wanted to shout her out. Like I said, she died uh, last week, um, and just want to send you know love through the airwaves to all of the folks that knew her were impacted by her and her work.
0: Um, finally, I want to give a shout out and honorable mention to the Stonewall Community Foundation. I am, uh, by the time you all hear this, it will have been yesterday, but, um, you can catch it online. It'll be streaming online. I'm hosting, uh, for the fifth year now, uh, the Stonewall Community Foundation's Vision Awards. Um, it is a, it's a big event for us every year to be able to kind of come out and talk about some of the great LGBTQ folks, some of the best of the best of us. Um, this year we're honoring Roxane Gay. Um, who I'm sure you've heard of. We're also honoring Sandra Caldwell and the Brooklyn Liberation Collective. Uh, It is going to be a live event. The
1: legendary Sandra Caldwell. (laughs)
0: Yes, yes. Shout out Uh, to the (laughs) Cheetah Girls.
1: If you don't know, you need to watch Disclosure and find (laughs) out,
0: okay? The fact that you pulled up the Cheetah Girls is the most Travell thing you've done all day. Um, (laughs) So we are uh, celebrating those folks. Um, We've got some great surprises. It is gone virtual, so I'll be hosting it here from my home instead of uh, from New York, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And so for those of you that are uh, interested, you can check it out. It will be streaming. I'll make sure to include the link for that.
1: And we should say that the Stonewall Community Foundation is... Uh, Jared Lucas, previous guest, is the yes. executive director of we still that get, organization. We
0: still get emails about Jared's uh, episode. Uh, I believe it was, OK, allies, now let's get information. Right. Um, so Jared is from that episode. He is the executive director, one of my best friends, and uh, a really, really extraordinary activist and advocate. So um, shout out to the Vision Awards and to all of the honorees this year. Um, That is going to do it for us. We thank you all so much for being a part of this episode. Our thanks again to Michael Blackman for being a part of this conversation about The Shade Room. Um, If you enjoy this show, please, we ask that you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, um, a five-star rating and a review. Uh, Let us know what you think about the show, and it really does help us to get more people to know about the show. Um, And if you have a comment or a suggestion about this week's show, you can tweet us or get into our DMs uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at Podcast. Um, and we'd love to hear from you.
1: And as always, if you want to become a member of the Fanti fam, as well as the Maximum Fun family, you can join at MaximumFun.org join. Um, and if you want to just, you know, tell us how amazing we are or give us more feedback and you might be one of those people who not on the social medias, you can email us at Fanti at
0: MaximumFun.org. That's right, our music is by Corice. That is C-O-R You can get that wherever you get your slay-worthy audio and our graphics and our photo, uh, all of that cool visual stuff um, about the show comes from Ashley Wynn. Our producers this week are... <clears throat> you ready? Okay. <laughs> don't, don't give me a look that the people can't even hear. Okay. <laughs> our producer this week is Jordan Cowley!
1: Really? Really? You probably clipping. They probably can't even hear none of that.
0: And also, Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned audience supported it's
1: fine i'm not perfect it's okay
0: we know we know all right here we go